Mbawale for the win. Welcome into this week's edition of All In, WFUV's Women's Sports Podcast. I'm Julia Moss. This week, I'm joined by James Burley and Andy Rodriguez, and we have a ton to get into. We're going to start off, of course, with the World Cup coming to an end, Spain winning 1-0 to against England. We'll get into that match, our thoughts, and then, unfortunately, we'll be transitioning into something a little more uh unfortunate it's it's always uncomfortable to talk about when things like this happen but it's important to talk about and have conversations and dialogue about what's going on within spain's federation right now a lot specifically going on today so you know if you're listening to it today great but if you're listening to it a week listening to this from a week from now you know things might uh change and we are talking about something that is very much still ongoing but before we get into that james andy let's Let's get into the World Cup because it was a really good match, one to zero. Um, England really came off on the right foot, it seemed, seeming like they were gonna, uh, you know, it was gonna be a very back and forth offensive game, but it slowed down really quick. And once momentum switched, it really did seem like Spain was on the front foot the rest of the match. But before I give my specific thoughts, uh, James, we'll start with you. What were your main takeaways from the World Cup final? Well, we previewed it a little bit prior to the match and what we talked about on uh, a lot of it was the contrasting styles between Spain and England how Spain had been playing this very very pretty style of soccer this very um tiki-taka-esque it wasn't purely the same thing but something that we've known Spanish soccer to resemble and people were very much pleased with that and it got results uh in six of seven games of this World Cup except for the one blip in the radar against Japan and England on the other side saw them physically outmatching their opponents, bullying teams into victories and narrowly, you know, running over the finish line to to make it seem like a sprint because in many ways, or excuse me, a marathon, because in many ways, matches watching England felt like that, you know, where it wasn't entirely about uh, playing through little triangles and tight spaces to advance the ball slowly through midfield, but more about beating your opponent in behind and uh, making the other team pay. And that's what England did really, really well. Um, against teams that I thought even looked better than them at many times. And that's why I liked their odds in the final, although Spain did what they do best and worked the ball, controlled it, had more of it, and created more chances. And they were deservedly champions of the world. And Andy Rodriguez, hat off to you for calling that long before anyone else did. I'm working on getting some clips of previous episodes so we can uh, memorialize your football knowledge uh, forever. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I got to flex with my predictions there. But um, no, it was a really competitive final. I was pleased with it. And as you said, England started out really strong. They hit the crossbar within like the first 15 minutes. So warning shots there. But then Spain, courtesy of a goal from 
Olga Carmona, that was a brilliant goal. She scored in the semifinal as well. So, yeah, she was on fire. Unfortunate, unfortunate that her dad died before the game, and she didn't know that. But, um, yeah, I think it was a great result for Spain, and it was what I expected. You know, it could have been more. They got the penalty saved, but at the end of the day, I did think they played better, and the better team won. So, yeah, it was just a summary of basically how they performed the entire World Cup. Even in that game versus Japan when they lost, I thought they showed some good traits. They just had to fix up their defense, but it was a good result. As a U.S. women's national team diehard, I might be one of the only people on the planet who loves the women's U.S. women's national team, but also loves England's national team. I was devastated by this game. I think for me, it's just the players are so personable. They have really strong social media presences, so you get to know the players more. And I really just, I was drawn to this team from the beginning. So watching their progression through this tournament, they built into the tournament. I don't think it was their plan to build in. They kind of had the tournament I think the U.S. women's national team were planning to have. But when you go into this tournament, you have to seemingly you have to go in with the mindset that you're putting your best foot forward. I think the difference between England and U.S. is that the U.S. wanted to put their best foot forward and England expected to put their best foot forward. And that's why we saw England genuinely grow into this tournament. But with that being said, the one goal scored by Olga Carmona, first of all, I thought there's no way that's the last goal. Whether that means that this turns into a 2-3-0 you know, zero defeat or if Eng- England equalizes, it really didn't feel like it was going to be 1-0 with the only goal coming in the 29th minute with how back and forth this game was. And my heart breaks for Lucy Bronze because objectively, I love Lucy Bronze as a player. James and I have talked. She's my favorite player on England, one of my favorite players in the world right now. She has is one of the only... Her and Jordan Nobbs on this team are the only ones that have been to all three of the past World Cups. The past two, they were knocked out in the semifinals in devastating fashion both times, of course, with America beating them in 2019. And they finally get to the final and for it to happen like that and for it to arguably and, and objectively be, you know, Lucy Bronze's fault that that uh, goal happened. You know, she dribbled it up the midfield right into three or four Spanish players. Of course, um, you know, England players should have backtracked and tracked uh, Olga on the other side to to defend her so it wasn't all her fault but for that to all start from just a probably a silly mental mistake that usually doesn't happen for a player of a caliber like Lucy Bronze absolutely devastating for her but I mean Spain was a better team if you look if you watch the game with your eyes you saw it but if you also look at the stats you see it Uh, they had 81% pass accuracy to England 72% and then the pass is completed by the pretty big difference Spain completed 485 England 362 and Spain held on to 58% of the possession and something for me and I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this as well what I thought Spain did so well is something that and I don't mean to keep bringing it back to the U.S. women's national team but something that they did so well this tournament that I feel like the United States did so well in 2019 was off-ball movement and triangle passing like they were just so in sync they were I mean, they were passing short, like strong, but short passes around, like toying with England forwards in their own half, like right in front of their own box. And that just shows the confidence and, you know, the expectation that they were going to win this game. So, Andy, we'll start with you. Thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely their passing has been crisp. That's what has defined this team, as James alluded to in the beginning, tiki-taka-esque with a lot of the players from the team being from Barca as well. That's their style. And 
So to me, it was no surprise just because that's usually what Spain does. What surprised me the most was their evolution throughout the tournament by using that style and becoming more clinical as the tournament went on. So beginning of the World Cup, I remember I made a comparison of the Spain game versus Costa Rica and the USA game from last World Cup, the 13-0 game. And they had a lot of chances in both of those games, but Spain wasn't clinical. They only scored three goals. And now that you look at the semifinal versus Sweden, they only had two shots on target, scored both. And I think that was their biggest difference as the tournament went on. They didn't waste any more chances. And also, as you said, the chemistry of the players, and not just like the starting 11, because the fact is that Spain started every game with a different starting 11, which is insane to me. Every single game, different lineup. 22 out of the 23 players played in the World Cup. The only one who didn't play is the third goalie. So I think they just used all of their players to the best of their abilities, the rotation, making sure they're not tired. They're also versatile. It was very beautifully executed by Spain throughout the tournament. Yeah, and if I can address this first, Julia, don't apologize for relating things back to the U.S. national team because that let's face it, that's the team that over here we are going to be watching a lot more and the people who might hear us talk about this are going to be watching a lot more. We understand the game through an American lens. and. For the longest time, the American lens in women's soccer, at least, was that of an excellent team with a clear identity that played the way they wanted to play. And it didn't matter who their opponent was. They didn't change that because their opponent was going to have to react to them. They were so dominant and confident that that's just the way things were going to be. And that is very similar to what we saw from Spain in six of the seven games this tournament, with the exception of that game against Japan, where things just went all wrong very, very quickly. But Throughout the tournament, they were the team that was pushing the issues, that was controlling the ball. And it's there's a reason why that 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 style of play, you know, with the Barca influence is so attractive to fans and coaches alike is because not only because it looks great sometimes, but because you can't lose if you control the ball. So, so the, their ability to actually do that and present it in such a way that people identified and, and thought, wow, this is a spectacular style of soccer that this team is playing. That that wasn't just great for them as a way to eventually win the World Cup and become the fifth nation to do that. But by having an identity alone, it just rose the stock of the sport entirely. For me, for, for people to, to walk away from the World Cup and say that the way that that Spanish team plays is beautiful, we should emulate that. To me, that that goes way beyond uh, winning the World Cup and, and, and having a good performance over a seven-match tournament because this this is the sort of thing that grows the game for a while. Granted, the the Spanish Football Federation is a, a, an atrocious entity that keeps shooting itself in the foot and taking away all of the credibility that their players have given them to sh uh, showcase to the rest of the world, but that is neither here nor there. The fact of the matter remains that the players who featured for Spain executed their game plan and their identity so perfectly, so clearly that they were not only able to be successful, but able to showcase like what makes women's soccer so great. And, and that's going to push the sport very much forward. And, and look, even though it's not the U.S. doing that, uh, we feel a little bit maybe uh, uh, un ungrateful for the past, you know, eight to 10 years of the U.S. carrying that torch and bringing women's soccer into the next generation. But if that's going to be Spain, you'd like for them to do it in the way that they did it, you know? So I think, I think they, uh, they definitely were uh, a spectacle to watch. And I'm, I'm really glad that, that we, we got to cover, uh, even though it didn't result in the U.S. Um, 
succeeding in this World Cup. I'm glad we got to cover such an impressive team at this World Cup. It really was a, a, a privilege. Absolutely. And, and one more thing before we switch over to uh, Spain's off-the-field issues. For the first time in this tournament, I mean, Serena Wagman is absolutely like, I think she's the best coach in the women's game right now without a shadow of a doubt. And for the first time in this tournament, I think we saw her make a mistake tactically. And that is when Kira Walsh suffered her injury and it was assumed that she might be out the whole tournament until, you know, of course, you know, uh, heaven shone down on England and she only missed a game. Um, they switched to a different tactic to, to make up for the fact that Kira wouldn't be in the lineup. But then she came back and they kept that same lineup. They kept the same uh, formation. They kept it into the finals. But at halftime, they went back to that lineup at halftime that they had before Kira Walsh's injury. And I think that showed that she wasn't exactly confident in the lineup that she had out there. And I think if she had just stuck with what she had, and especially I think the substitutions were a little questionable, um, putting on Lauren James was a good choice. But the subs that she took off, maybe not the best choice. Maybe it was best to start Lauren James from the beginning instead of Ella Toon, even though she had come off a great semifinals match. All things that, you know, you, you can't really know if it was the right choice or not because uh, you don't know what would have happened if she would have kept the lineup. But in my opinion, I think uh, she should have shown some confidence in the team that she had, trusted the players like she had all tournament and not made so many halftime switches, just tried it out until the 60th minute and then made appropriate changes there. But we are going to switch over to Spain's off the field issues. There have just been so many, and I've been a little bit busy today. So I'm, I'm aware of the things that have happened, but I know Andy is a lot more um, knowledgeable on the on the specifics. So I'm going to let him take away on the um, just the actual facts of what's happened today because it's been a lot. All right. So for anyone who's been living under a rock this past week and hasn't seen all of the drama online. Essentially what happened is Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish Federation, after the World Cup final, while they're sitting in the stadium getting ready for the celebrations, he was kissing all the players on the cheek, giving them big hugs. And then Jennifer Hermoso showed up and it was her turn, I guess, to interact with him. And well, he grabbed her face and just kissed her on the lips, like out of nowhere. And since then, all of the attention has pretty much been there, which is a shame. The attention should be for the Spain team winning. But of course, he had to do that crazy thing. And well, now there's been a lot of developments this week. People were expecting him to resign. The week started out with him making a statement saying that it was a mistake, rush in the moment, whatnot. And then the Spanish Federation actually released a statement on behalf of Jennifer Hermoso. And they said that she basically was fine with it, that it was something in the moment, the emotions took over, and she was, wasn't really bothered by the experience. And we have since learned that that statement was not approved by her. She made her own statement separately today. And she said that she just told them she wasn't going to make a statement. Then they did that on her behalf without even telling her. So those are not her words. She has since said that she did not consent to the moment and everyone thought yesterday that Rubiales was going to resign because there was an emergency meeting today. And it turns out he did quite the opposite of that. He did, not only did he say he's not going to resign, he's essentially saying he was not to blame at all and that he did nothing wrong. 
in his eyes. And so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. FIFA is opening an investigation. Spain's government's getting involved too. They, I think at the moment, Rubiales is suspended because of the investigation going on that was opened by the government, still to be confirmed. And 81 of Spain's players have also released a statement and they signed the document saying that they will not play for the national team until change is made, including the 23 players that were in the World Cup. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. A lot to cover with that. And it really is just so sad, like, to think about all of this. And, you know, throughout the World Cup, there were also issues with the actual head coaching that he had been abusive and made really sketchy rules. And one rule in particular that I think, you know, now that we know all of this other stuff that is just really gross is that the head coach, the manager wouldn't allow players on road trips to lock their hotel room doors. And now that we're seeing literal, like, sexual assault on the global stage, what are they doing behind closed doors? Like, why can't they lock their hotel room doors? What do you need to see in these women's rooms? Like, it's it's sketchy as a fact by itself but on top of the fact that the president of the federation feels like he can do that to a player fully like there is no doubt that he knows he is being recorded he thought that was right he thought there was no shot that that was inappropriate if that's where his level his base level of what he views as appropriate is i can't even imagine what happens when there are no cameras around and it's really disappointing um i'm happy players everyone whether it be on spain whether it be on America, on England, everyone is gathering around Ginny Hermoso and showing her support. And I'm so happy that this is happening. I'm so devastated that it has to happen. But I mean, you look at the National Women's Soccer League just a couple years ago. This is if you're a follower of American sports, of American soccer, you know that this is not an isolated incident whatsoever. Men, specifically in women's soccer, it happens everywhere. But the things that have been publicized as of late are within women's soccer. They have a sense of security to feel that they they can do things to their women players that are unacceptable because of the power imbalances that are within the hierarchies of women's football. And you would think Spain would look at what happened in the NWSL, see everything that, that happened, all the jobs that were lost, all the outrage that happened, and they would think, yeah, there's no place for that. Clearly there's no place for that. And it's just disheartening to see that it's it's still happening and i'm wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the only federation where things like this are happening and it's really just gross i think one of arguably the most sickening things about this whole thing was when luis rubiales so passionately declared that he's not going to resign in his jordan belfort-esque uh moment this purely ego charge driven speech um about how his presidency over the Spanish Federation brought over the success that Spain is now enjoying. To not to not only mistreat your players and support a manager who has been mistreating players to the point where as many as 15 refuse to play for him, to support that kind of person ahead of your players. And then your players go, despite having 12 players who arguably could have started, miss out on the World Cup. You win the World Cup with your B team. And then you come you you come out of this whole scandal now after mistreating your players on camera 
following their biggest triumph in the world stage, the biggest one possible. And then you say, but I've been so successful. How could I resign? It, the 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 sheer level of irony in it is is enough to make someone scream it's it's enough to it's boiling my blood because the players are the ones who are achieving these things for you they're the ones who make you look good you're the you're the president of the federation you didn't go out there you didn't you didn't score you didn't draw penalties you didn't you didn't play through tight spaces like we've been talking about you didn't you didn't go and step on the field and do the work yourself you hide behind these faces these names these people who actually go and do these things for you to bring about your riches. And then you come out here, lie blatantly, do unspeakable, disgusting things on television, mistreat players, have a coach who mistreats players, support that coach. And yet when your players are the ones who are successful, you don't give them credit. You actually stand up there and try to take the credit for yourself when you're being blamed for something completely different, by the way. The success of the Federation, even if he was the greatest president in federation history that should not excuse the behavior yet he uses it as an excuse for the behavior when his players are the ones finding his his success when the players are the ones complaining about him it's absolutely despicable and this is the sort of thing that happens in a lot of uh whether it be a federation for a country or an entire league or a team i look like just recently in america major league baseball um rob manfred uh, going out and saying the players have got to sacrifice stuff too. Meanwhile, the players are the product, quite literally. They're making you your money. You can't wage with the players. You can't wage war with the players like that. It's the, These are the workers who are making your life easy. So for him to not only mistreat and quite literally abuse his workers, but then to uh, brush aside all the hard work and success they achieved that made your country uh so desirable looking and so proud to do all that and to receive some cheers even from the crowd when he was so loudly claiming that he wouldn't resign. I I think that for me said everything I need to know about Luis Rubiales. And while I already really thought Jorge Vilda was the the villain of this story, Luis Rubiales clearly is uh, the villain at the top. And you know what? Maybe he's got a point. He probably shouldn't resign. He should be fired by whatever board of operators are still left and haven't been driven out of town by this guy while he tries to seize every last bit of power he can, because this is terrible. Yeah. And I think this is another example of like, I'm trying to figure out how to word this correctly, but if there aren't women in the room when you're making decisions about women who are playing sports things like this can happen because there is nobody in the room right now of spain's federation saying hey maybe we shouldn't do this maybe this is inappropriate behavior because you look at jorge vilda he is someone who abuses players you look at the top ruby alice the president they're building off of each other and making excuses for each other's behavior and when there's not a first of all a sensible person in the room and then also not a woman in the room. You see this also, and I, I bring up the the gender of it all because if you relate this back to the FIFA president's remarks saying that it's up to the women players to convince us men to invest and that the doors are open. And this is a whole other issue I'm going to get into, but it's it's super demeaning for so many reasons that you know, all of this happening right on the tails of 
that comment made by FIFA's president really just just shines a light on how poorly mismanaged the women's game is and it and it's growing at an alarming alarmingly well rate like the investments are going to go up viewership is already up so the amount of abuse and this mismanagement on top of the fact that the game is getting more popular is going to result really poorly on on the sport itself but also of course the people who are mismanaging and abusing players um so the comment made by fifa's president my specific gripe with it i have so many but the assumption that the people who are making the decisions to invest are all men the fact that he said it's up to you to convince us men to grow the sport to make that assumption that it is men at the top making the decisions just pays me so much and i I was wondering what you guys thought of that quote in particular and and just specifically how it you know, relates back to just everything that's happening in women's soccer right now. Yeah, this is definitely like that quote is just like so out of place. And I want to add to it actually with some statements that Rubial has made in his speech today. Um, Cause I watched all 30 minutes of it. So I spared you guys the trouble and the bleeding ears from that. It was absolutely terrible. And I was so infuriated, like as I was watching it, these are some of the things he said that I wrote down and translated to English. So one of the statements he said was, justice is not trying to be made here. That is false. This is the execution of a social assassination to me. They're trying to kill me. And he kept mentioning that phrase as he went on in the speech saying, they're trying to kill me, which is an insane way of putting it. Then he also go into what James was saying of how he was saying, it's his presidency that brought all of this success. And to add to that, anyone who has studied Spanish, you know the difference between when a word is for women or men, you know, campeones or campeonas. And he was saying, we are campeones, so men included. And because he's like, we're part of the group too, you know, the coaches, we're men. So stop saying campeonas, say campeones, which is crazy that he would try and discredit the effort that the women made in that speech filled of a room full of men and the video you probably see like five women in that room and i was watching them closely and they weren't really clapping whereas the rest of the room was clapping filled with men so yeah it's just his ego is very very huge which goes in line with what beatriz alvarez said the president of spain's women's league she said he's a person who has his ego above his dignity we're seeing it firsthand right now and Yeah, the way he's trying to frame things such as a social assassination or that he also said that this is a movement by false feminism, that it's not real feminism. And he would constantly mention his daughters too. Like his daughter was crying. He goes, don't cry. You should be calm and happy. Be proud of who your father is. Be proud of who he is. And then he addressed his daughters again during the speech saying, I am saying the truth here today. Learn that. It's a life lesson. You are a real feminist, not the false feminism that's out there. And it was so manipulative the way he's twisting things in the situation as a whole, which again goes in line with what Jennifer Hermoso said in her statement today, that it's a manipulative culture that he has generated. And so, yeah, we just saw it firsthand. And the insane part to me is that if he's comfortable saying this on national, worldwide, you know, broadcast. He was comfortable doing that kiss in that broadcast of the World Cup. 
what has been going on behind the scenes? And that explains why 15 players quit before. What is it that's been going on that we don't even know about yet? And for him to be so comfortable doing it in public like this and then be bashed by the world telling him how it's wrong and he makes a statement today defending all of those arguments, it's ridiculous. So yeah, what did, I just... I don't even know how to unpack all those statements he made. It was ridiculous how he phrased them and so manipulative. The whole spinning to make him seem like a victim is ridiculous. And yeah, it's it's the sort of thing I was talking about with, you know, taking credit for all the success while, you know, taking credit away from the players. Literally, the whole spiel about campeones, campeona, like the why would he ever think that that would be a successful thing to win over a crowd of people that uh, he uh, believes to be trying to assassinate him? It's, it's not, it's, he's creating this us against them narrative to, to gain more controversy in almost like a political way to sort of run this, which is terrible. Like what, what group of women would want to be associated with that would want to play for that country. I don't want to play for the country that wins the world cup and then is immediately bashed by uh, their federation's president and where the, the coach doesn't stand by the players. That's ridiculous. It, it, I can't believe that we, we were saying all these amazing things, all these revolutionary things, quite literally, that Spain and their players and these incredibly talented women were able to do on the field at this tournament, which is supposed to be about a game where you kick a ball, but it's a game that most people love. Yet we complicate it with all this nonsense off the field. And meanwhile, the conversation around the, that should be around these incredibly talented women who did something incredibly impressive that has never been done before. Instead, we're talking about this because these people with these absurd egos and their destructive behavior um, takes all the credit away, takes all take quite literally they're asking to take the credit away and they're taking all the attention. It is ridiculous. Um, it's infuriating. It's sad. And I, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm where you are at Andy, where I don't know what else I can, I can unpack because it's it's hard to believe that some of these people are even real at this point. Like, yes, we we know that these issues persist and and will continue to exist in women's sports. Um, it, it it's just the way it is. People are going to continue to take advantage of the marginalized, and women's athletes are certainly a marginalized group, especially when men are running things. And that goes back to your point, Julia, because Gianni Infantino is saying women convince us to to invest in 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 your sport. And that he's not only just like saying like you got to convince men, he's saying, yeah, us men, we literally run it. We're, we're excluding you guys away from even being in charge. So there, there is so much that was, is not going to change in this short amount of time. But for now, I think we can be confident that in the soon days in, in, in the near future that Luis Rubiales and Jorge Vilda are not going to be a part of Spanish football because the action taken by the players and by the community surrounding the sport has been very noticeable, very uh, hard. I can't imagine it wouldn't be effective if uh, they can't get 23 players to suit up for their country. Um, I think change is going to be made and it, it's, it's long overdue, even with their recent success. Let me tell you that. It'll be interesting to see, of course, how this all plays out because this is, you know, there's another major tournament coming up and that's the Olympics and that's only less than a year away. So the state of Spanish football, the way we see it right now, crossing our fingers will look a whole lot different. I have no doubt that it will look a whole lot different, but 
Um, as for what that will look like, that's definitely to be determined. Um, well, that's going to do it for our episode today. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, James, for, for coming on and talking some World Cup soccer. Next time we talk soccer, we'll definitely hopefully be a little more optimistic. But until next time, All In is production of WFUV Sports. Mawale for the win! Good! Alike Okunbawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame! Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one man! Twenty-one world championship medals. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women singles champion.